Hello, everybody, and welcome back to yet another edition of the Might Sports Roundup here on WSJU Radio. I'm Michael Zabo. We got a lot to get to today in our Sports Roundup of the Week, We're talking NFL, MLB as the end of the season comes down to the wire. Also talk a little bit about the U.S. men's national team and their big win last week in the international break. All of that coming up, um, but before we start off, um, as always, follow my Twitter page at, at underscore Roundup and my Instagram page, Michael underscore Zabo, to follow all the updates regarding our show. It will be put on our Spotify, um, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts platform. Had a technical difficulty issue being uh, able to put last week, uh, being uh, with uh, last week's episode. Um, so we'll clear that up this week, and we'll have this week's episode up on all of those platforms um, available to listen to after, uh, of course, we are on live um, as of right now. So uh, as usual, like I said, you know, every episode, uh, this episode, along with every episode, will be put up onto those podcast platforms, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. So make sure to check them out to check out this episode and all of our others. Um, but as I said, a lot to get to on this edition of Mike Sports Roundup. We're going to start off in the NFL as, a, as week one of the 2021 NFL season kicked off with a bang this weekend. And a lot of great games. And, you know, also the factor of how people are just happy to have football back again after, you know, the seven-month absence. So factor that in too. But we also had some, just some great matchups regardless, whether it would be week one or week 17. Um, you know, just to start us off on Thursday night football, the Cowboys and the um, and the Buccaneers game was fantastic. Um, that was a great game. We'll get into a couple of uh, games around the league in a little bit. Some of the big games, some big surprises that we saw. You know, everybody was talking about the the shocking uh, Packers loss. I don't think anybody expected them. Even if you had the Saints winning that game, no way did anybody have them winning in that sort of fashion, absolutely drubbing the Packers 38-3. Um, you know, some other one, the Chiefs, big comeback. Um, we'll talk all about that a little later. We're going to get to a little more depressing news, and that is the local uh, NFL teams and the Jets and the Giants, who both lost this weekend to kick off the season, but I think both have sort of opposite feelings about the defeats, really. Um, I'll get that and I'll clarify that in a sec as we go through the two teams. So we're going to start off with the New York Jets who played uh, first on Sunday at the 1 o'clock hour, taking on Sam Darnold and the Carolina, uh, Carolina Panthers, a revenge game for Sam Darnold and Robbie Anderson, of course, but mainly Sam Darnold being the one focused on as he was traded in the offseason from the New York Jets, former Jet quarterback, being traded for a couple of picks. Uh, to Carolina, Carolina to uh, move past Teddy Bridgewater and bring in a new quarterback to try and get back up to the playoffs, uh, get back into being a contending team, team that's always been the last couple of years sort of in between. You know, they are not a terrible team, but not exactly a good one either. Bringing in Sam Darnold, seeing if they can fix the issues that he had the last couple of years with the Jets and be much closer to the caliber quarterback the Jets thought they were getting coming out of the draft a couple of years ago 
it got off to a, a decent start for Darnold, and I, I always I thought predicted last week that the Panthers were going to win this one. As I said, because of the revenge factor, the Sam Darnold revenge game, and he was good um, in the game, not uh, amazing, but certainly had a really good game, a stat line that you really didn't see a lot of times in his Jet days. Sam Darnold going 24 of 35, 279 yards with a touchdown as the Carolina Panthers won 19 to 14 over the Jets, and for a long time seemed to have the game under control. Um, Christian, uh, I'll talk about the Panthers side of things. Um, Christian McCaffrey really had the ground game going, as of course we all know. McCaffrey, probably the lead, probably the lead best. Forget about running back, just offensive player. Um, you know, especially late on when the Jets were trying to get Carolina to quickly go three and out and try and get some extra possessions in a two-score game to try and get the ball back and get closer and get closer and ultimately uh, get back in the game. You know, it will always be McCaffrey, who's the short thing for the Panthers, able to get them uh, some really solid yardage on the ground or in the air, be able to get a first down or whatnot, really hurt the Jets late after that second touchdown uh, that Wilson had late on that maybe gave you some hope that they could get back in. But McCaffrey's overall stat line, he just ran rough shot over the Jet uh, defense. 21 carries for 98 yards, 9 receptions uh, for 89 yards. Not of a touchdown, but still very, very productive. We mentioned Robbie Anderson before, also a former Jet. A bit of a revenge game for him in that he didn't really do a lot in terms of volume. Only had one reception, but that was a killer reception. That was what reception went for 57 yards. Um, eventually, I believe, set up the, uh, I believe that was the touchdown from Darnold to uh, Robbie Anderson. That was the, the touchdown that made the big difference in the game uh, for Carolina. And, yeah, just as we look now, yes, that was the one touchdown. I mentioned that in my notes, but that was the one touchdown. Robbie Anderson, just that one reception, that was the killer 57-yard touchdown from Sam Darnold on a fantastic pass, honestly, from him. And Darnold looked better. I don't want to say he was, you know, absolutely great, but he was, I mean, it looked a lot better than he ever was um, with the Jets. Now, on the Jets' side of things, listen, a multi we've, it's been talked about, you know, for ages and ages. You know, it's been talked to death about the issues of Sam Darnold at the Jets the last couple of years. Is it all on him? No. Was he great? No, he's throwing interceptions. He's turnover prone, which was a problem way before the dra uh, way before he got drafted to the Jets, and was a problem in college. It was uh, he had a turnover problem. He wasn't that great with the Jets. But you also have to take into the account he had a bad offense. He was playing behind a really bad offensive line, and that really didn't change for the three years that he was with the Jets. And so far, as of Sunday, in this new era for the Jets with Zach Wilson, that did not change at all either. Wilson looked good. He had some good flashes. But in front of, he was playing in front of an absolutely horrible offensive line that he could do nothing with. He could do absolutely nothing with that offensive line. The Jets did not have any sort of running game whatsoever. 
could not establish a running game, did not have a run. I, I know they, their running backs, their, their running back, their RB1 is Tevin Coleman. Um, you know, we always had some potential, had some good performances with San Francisco the last couple of years, but generally not the greatest thing. Um, but in general, the offensive line can't, it really stunts a lot of what the Jets would want to do offensively. And that's the same we'll talk about for the Giants as well. But for the Jets, and there's, there's not a lot you can expect Wilson to do. You know, 14 points, you know, two touchdowns. You know, you're lucky if you get that sometimes with the offensive line that we saw, the offensive line performance that we saw on Sunday from the Jets. It's just Swiss cheese, really. Couldn't, you know, that doesn't really, you know, for a young quarterback coming into the, to the league and especially a highly pressurized situation as the Jets in terms of they have not had a quarterback in so long work out. Um, you know, already having to deal with the horrible offensive line factor um, doesn't really help matters at all for Wilson to settle in. But despite the bad offensive line play, he, he did show some flashes. So overall stat line for Zach Wilson, he went 20 for 37, 258 yards, one touchdown and one interception. So he had some he had some flashes. Had a great touchdown pass to Corey Davis. Davis had a big game with five receptions, 97 yards, two touchdowns. You saw you looked at the performance of Zach Wilson on Sunday, and yeah, it wasn't great. Um, you know, offensive line aside or whatnot. Like you know, the stats said, 20 for 37. But you know, you look you look at that. You got 258 yards, one touchdown. I'm sorry. I believe it's I believe it's two. I'm not sure why I put one. It's two touchdowns. Um, you know, and, and you look at what the overall body of work that Zach Wilson had on Sunday, and you look at that, and you say, if you're the New York Jets, you say that's something we can work with. Obvi- obviously. The priority as you go forward is eventually to get the offensive line to play better, was whether it's through development as you go through this year or whether it's next year continuing to build through the draft. We'll see. It can get better. You have a good, solid building block with Mackay Becton and Elijah Vera Tucker for the future. But we'll see where it goes from there. Now, the problem is you weren't, as, if you're a Jet fan, you're watching, you're very concerned about how the offensive line was. You drafted an offensive lineman in the first round. Mackay Becton did really well last year. Offensive line wasn't too great on Sunday, and yet it picked up another injury. Mackay Becton went down later in the game on Sunday. It looks like he'll be out for a couple of weeks, so that's bad news to an already you know, bad offensive line. This is a team in the Jets that have been facing several injuries in the preseason that really hurt them. Carl, the Carl Lawson injury did not help them on the defensive line. Um, that was certainly a big blow. Um, they have had a couple injuries this offseason uh, or in the training camp that have really hurt them um, in terms of you know, where they, where they want to go, but you know, in terms of trying to get better this season. But certainly, you, like I said, you look at what Zach Wilson did, and you look at the overall body of work, and you just put it as, the, as it's something you can work with. I, I don't think you, you looked at Sunday and you thought, oh, wow, Zach Wilson right away, going to be a star. Oh, my God, Jets, Jets, Jets. Um, you know, it, it, was, 
it was something you could build off of. And it was something promising, and like I said, something you can build off of. Next up, the Jets will take on uh, the Patriots at MetLife Stadium on next Sunday. Um, they will... Um, the Patriots are also 0-1 on the season. Uh, they lost, shockingly, a little bit shocking, uh, they lost to the Miami Dolph Dolphins in Foxborough, 17-16. Um, so both Jets and Patriots coming in MetLife Stadium 0-1. You haven't said that too many times in the last 20 years. Um, but both coming in 0-1, looking for their first win of the season at MetLife next week. Should be an interesting one between those two. Over to the other side of New York with the Giants, where we talked about how the feeling with the Jets and their loss on Sunday, like, it wasn't, it's not never great when you lose, but cer certainly you saw some promise in it. Um, you could feel slightly a little more positive based on, you know, some of the flashes you saw from your quarterback or whatnot. Totally different story on the big blue side of things for the New York Giants. This was a game that, you look at the Giants' schedule, you look what they were last year in 6-10, and 10, and you go, okay, we could build on this. It was a bad NFC East division last year. They went 6-10, and 10, were within a win of winning the division and going to the playoffs. Still wasn't a great season. Six wins is six wins. But, you know, just because of how bad of a division it was, everybody started going nuts over six wins, myself included. But you just step back, you know, take a step back and look at it. Six wins is six wins. Wasn't a fantastic year record-wise or whatnot. Um, but you thought, you know, Joe Judge heading into second year, um, you, you saw six wins from last year. You think you can keep on, uh, keep on building with this. The Giants had an excellent year last year defensively. And you think you can keep on building on this this year and hope you put enough offensive weapons around Daniel Jones that he can improve from what he's been. And you just looked at, going into this year, you just looked at this schedule. You looked at the first game on the schedule at home against the Broncos, who you had Teddy Bridgewater there as quarterback, and he's not—he's better than Drew Locke. I think the Giants obviously had a much better chance of winning the game if Drew Locke was behind center for Denver if, than if Teddy Bridgewater was. Um, so, uh, but Bridgewater is not the greatest quarterback ever. Um, I mean, he won't really lose games or do a lot to really cost his team a game, but he, he's not exactly great either. And yet, the Giants looked absolutely listless. They looked horrible. And they lost 27-13 at home to the Broncos in a game that you looked at the rest of their schedule and, and, looked, at, and looked at the Broncos week one and you thought, this should be a winnable game. No matter what the rest of the schedule happens, you looked at this week one in the preseason, you looked at week one and you thought, okay, the Giants should be going into week two starting 1-0. They should be going into Thursday night football uh, this week starting 1-0. And instead, at 0-1, a bad loss, and what was shocking about it is, forget about the offensive struggles we'll talk about in a second. The defense looked really bad, which is really concerning because that was the one strength of the Giants last year. Last, last year, nobody talks about this, but the Giants had a top 10 defense in the NFL, statistically. Had a top 10 defense. Leonard Williams broke out. 
they, they got some good play. Blake Martinez was a tackle machine. James Bradbury was playing like one of the best corners in the NFL. And a couple of good, really good playmakers on the team. And you're thinking, all right, they, they drafted a, a safety, Xavier McKinney, in the second round. Um, uh, you, you got a couple of good, uh, really solid safeties as well. Um, Logan Ryan you like as well um, in there. And, you know, all of a sudden the defense wasn't really performing that great. Um, you know, that was the most shocking and disappointing part about uh, about the Giants' performance in week one is the defense being pretty lackluster. And that's a concerning thing going forward for Joe Judge. And certainly he's maintaining a positive attitude. But at some point it has to, you know, it, it's just got to boil down in that, you know, you got to be better than, than this. It, it can't just be, oh, we'll keep on working or whatnot. And you No, know, at some point there has to be progress shown. On the offensive si side of the ball, Daniel Jones went 22 of 37, 267 yards um, with the touchdown. Um, also had six carries um, tw for 27 yards and a touchdown um, on the ground. I, I don't, um, he didn't have an interception in that game, but I believe he did have a fumble. Um, or if it wasn't credited to him being a fumble. Um, but anyway, Jones, you look at those stats, not too bad, but in general... Um, you know, it's still the same Daniel Jones, and it's a Daniel Jones that, you know, looks shaky in the pocket, um, can be prone to turnovers, um, really, you know, you weren't, didn't really get a lot of confidence that, you know, this, this performance can really, um, show that Jones can, can be a better quarterback than what he's been and be a legit franchise quarterback for the Giants going forward. Ster uh, the only bright spark offensively was Sterling Shepard. Changed his number this year with the new NFL policy and whatnot, and, and just totally became a different person. Had seven receptions, 113 yards, with the touchdown Sterling Shepard. He was fantastic. The one bright spark in the offense. But in general, the offense still looks bogged down by horrible play calling. Saquon Barkley, everybody wants to talk about Saquon Barkley. He's back. He should be back from injury. Back to, you know, his normal self that he had been the past couple years. One of the better NFL running backs, uh, despite a bad off offensive line, etc., etc., etc. Oh, hyped up in fantasy. Oh, take him in the first round or whatnot. He only had 10, he had 10 carries, 26 yards. It was bad. It was supposed to be a bright spark. Saquon really did not um, inspire that. Against a team that, yeah, and the Broncos that is good, but, you know, ha doesn't have a great quarterback. Um, but it, it's a solid team, but someone of Saquon's nature, based on you know, what we've seen out of him in the past couple of years when he wasn't injured. You know, we see all the highlight runs and whatnot. He thought he would be more effective. Um... But in terms of the offense as a whole, this is still an offense that, uh, listen, everybody wants to talk about Daniel Jones' struggle and, uh, struggles, and you won't have a big supporter from me here on him. I, um, I hated the Daniel Jones pick from, from draft night, thought he had a couple of good 
uh, thought he showed some flashes in his rookie year, but since then those flashes have gone away. He's been generally bad. Um, but he can't, uh, and not everything is on Daniel Jones for the Giants' struggles the past couple of years. I think it's also the play calling, and especially last year. The play calling is also what holds this team back. The offensive line and the play calling. Offensive line holds this team back in, in terms of what they can fully achieve in the run game. I know Saquon in the past has overcome that, but who knows what it's going to be like after his injury last year. Um, how is he going to uh, you know, be able to progress from that um, and be back to the player that he was a couple of years ago? Um, you know, just factor that whole injury uh, sense in. You know, fa factor the injury in. How will he be coming back? Um, but also, this off, you know, as much as maybe Saquon can get past um, a bad offensive line, it still doesn't negate the fact the offensive line is really bad. It limits what the Giants can do offensively. The offensive line just can't protect at all. It had a little spurt last year where it looked like you could work with something with the offensive line. It was looking better, giving Daniel Jones some more time or whatnot, but it was really bad on, on Sunday. You know, Andrew Thomas is really closing, if people don't call it him already, closing in on already being a bust. They lost, um, you know, they saw their best offensive lineman and Kevin Zietler walk away. Um, you know, he was he's gone, and nobody's really been brought in to address the offensive line. The, the guys that they drafted uh, last year, and Andrew Thomas in particular, as I mentioned, haven't looked stellar at all last year, and in week one have not shown signs of improvement whatsoever. So that's obviously, once again, a huge area of concern. But once again, the play calling for the Giants is, again, I think what really holds them back. Jason Garrett, in my opinion, should have been gone this offseason. You know, as much as Daniel Jones is not the greatest quarterback, the offensive line isn't great, I thought Garrett's play calling last year also negatively impacted the, the offense last year, made it so hard to, to move the ball down the field, even just get one, one first down. It, it seems, and he looked, at, he looked absolutely clueless as to, you know, okay, as an offensive, as an offensive coordinator, you got to realize, okay, how can I scheme against having a bad offensive line? How can I maximize what I get out of my offense? And he just doesn't have an answer. Didn't have an answer last year. You know, doesn't have an answer this year. He does not know how to work around the problems that the Giants have. It, it, his play calling is so bad, the Giants can't get anything going offensively. It's the blame is asserted on all of those guys, but Garrett shares some blame. I think he's a bad offensive coordinator. I think he should have been gone in the offseason for the Giants, and it's it's the concerns from last year are continuing this year in terms that you know he can't he he doesn't have plays to really make this offense efficient, and it's shocking. Because in Dallas, I mean, it wasn't the greatest coach in Dallas. Didn't lead them to the promised land that Cowboy fans, you know, have been longing for for the last 20 years. But he, he, he had them as a solid football team all the time and at least getting into the playoffs most years. And the offense, whether it was with Tony Romo or Dak Prescott, looked pretty crisp. And, and you, know, you know, it was something that would put points up on the board. 
And it's totally different as the offensive coordinator of the Giants. It looks absolutely horrible. Can't be able to put, it can't be able to get downfield. So as much as D Daniel Jones is not a good quarterback, um, the offensive line isn't great. I think Jason Garrett, once again, Sunday showed, shared some, shared some blame in his poor play calling for the Giants' struggles as well. Um, Giants will have a quick turnaround. They'll take on the uh, Washington football team uh, tomorrow night on Thursday night football. Um, Washington also lost the, on the weekend um, in a tight loss to the Los Angeles Chargers. So they'll be looking for a win against the Giants, and I'd be shocked if the if the Giants play the way they did Week One. If they if Washington doesn't get the win, to be totally honest, that great defense there, along with the um, you know along with it, all they have to do is get you know a touchdown, a couple field goals, and the way the Giants play in offense, they can't even they're barely able to muster even a touchdown, let alone two. Um, so the Giants will really have to take an, a, a huge step up in terms of their performance from week one if they're going to beat Washington tomorrow night. Um, but that's the roundup on the Jets and the Giants. And we're going to move to just quickly running down a couple of uh, the weekend's games. I mentioned the Buccaneers and the Cowboys game that kicked off the season last Thursday. Fantastic game to open up the NFL season with the Buccaneers taking down the Cowboys 31-29. to on a last-second field goal from Ryan Suckup. Um, Dallas, you know, you know, for the NFC East, for the sake of the NFC East, you know, beware to the rest of the NFC East. Does Dallas actually looks pretty good? Um, the, they couldn't get the run game going. They couldn't get Zeke Elliott going, but not surprising given the fact that the Buccaneers probably have the best run defense in the league. It's, it's not going to be easy to run against them. Um, you know, so they were always going to attack in the air, but they looked fantastic. Uh, not fantastic. Uh, uh, you know, fantastic is stretch, but they looked really, really good, the Cowboys. Um, you know, with Dak Prescott back, doesn't look like the uh, ankle injury or the shoulder injury that he suffered um, in preseason is really bothering him. Uh, obviously, the, as as it, as expected to a certain extent, the offense. Dallas offense looked a lot more crisp than last year after he went after Prescott went down with his injury. Um, you know the defense, which was historically bad last year, you obviously knew had to take an improvement. And while they did give up 31 points, um, you know it was taken to account. It was the defending Super Bowl champions. Um, you know it, it was a pretty solid performance. Um, you know, a couple of plays go their way, and the Cowboys um, win that game. So it was a big performance from them, and a little bit, despite a loss, a, a bit of a statement from the Cowboys going forward. Um, you also had the Steelers beating the Bills, 26-13. I don't think I, uh, uh, we saw anybody saw this one coming. Uh, the Bills, who we've hyped up in the preseason as an AFC championship contender, Super Bowl contender, had a really good year last year, potential MVP candidate in Josh Allen. Did not get off to the season uh, on a good note. Falling to the Steelers, who, you know, we've all said, yeah, the defense is, is really solid, really good. Young defense in Pittsburgh. Um, that's right up there with some of the best groups, um, led, led by T.J. Watt. Um, but the offense just generally, you always thought the offense just generally doesn't look well. 
the offensive line is, uh, was really bad from last year. Um, ben Roethlisberger, you think, is just finished and over the moon, doesn't or over the hill, I'm sorry, um, doesn't really have the arm of what he used to have, um, and just looks absolutely finished as a quarterback. And that wasn't the case on Sunday as they, you know, kind of shocked the NFL a little bit and got a big win over the Bills. Um, the Chiefs came back to beat the Browns 33-29 to and a huge comeback victory at Arrowhead. The Browns looked really good in the, in the, in the first half. They're up 22-10 to on the Chiefs at one point in the game. Uh, the defense looked uh, amazing for Cleveland, which we expected them to have a really good defense this year. Um, but they were just performing phenomenally at Arrowhead in that first half. But, you know, as it is with a, a team with Patrick Mahomes on it, um, you got to be able to play a full 60 minutes. Um, otherwise, they're going to be able to beat you. The offense can attack lightning quick, get up the field really quick, and put, put points on the board in a hurry. And that's what uh, the Chiefs did. Didn't help that... Um, the Browns had three turnovers in the second half as well. If you expect to win a game against Kansas City regular season or playoffs, you can't be doing that. Um, but it was generally, um, you know, a really good game. The Chiefs, that uh, it would have been a really, really big loss that would have generated a lot of attention in the national media. Even in a loss, it generated, uh, even in a loss for the Browns, it generated a lot of attention for them in that, it's quite a big statement going to Arrowhead and having such a big lead on the Chiefs. Um, this can be a potential playoff rematch. Um, those two teams are on that trajectory this year. Um, you know, so we'll see. But that was one of the more intriguing games of the weekend. Um, and you know, the Chiefs being the Chiefs once again, moving down the field quickly, putting points on the board in a hurry and being able to stave off what would have been a, a, a really concerning loss at Arrowhead to start off the season turns into you know, good, a, a good win. Then, as I mentioned before in the Jets segment, we had the Dolphins beating the, the Patriots 17-16 to in Foxborough. I always thought this game was going to be low scoring, um, given the fact both offenses you know, kind of um, you know, shaky, uh, are so-so. And, you know, both defenses, uh, both, you know, obviously Bill Belichick, you know, is always a, a good defensive-minded coach, always has a good, a really good defense. Um, Brian Flores now from Miami had a good defense last year um, with Miami, carrying that over to this year. So you always thought it was kind of going, going to be low-scoring. Mac Jones in there for the Patriots, probably still figuring things out. Tua Tuckavailova, the same thing. So you, for Miami, you always thought it was going to be low scoring, but um, you didn't think Miami was going to be with the young quarterback, the record that Belichick has against young quarterbacks or whatnot, marching into Foxborough and being able to get a big win to start the season um, was really shocking. Um, a really big win for Miami and a statement uh, to the rest of the AFC East. Um, you know, in going forward this season, and kind of a little bit of a statement to the rest of the national media who thought that the Patriots are going to be really good this year or shockingly good. Um, I'm not saying they won't be. It's only one week, but, you know, kind of put a pause on that uh, sentiment surrounding some of the hype around 
uh, the Patriots after the offensive overhaul that they made in the offseason. Um, but then you had the shocking, the absolutely shocking one of the weekend, and that was the Saints absolutely dominating the Green Bay Packers 38-3. Who saw that one coming? You thought the Packers, they were able to settle the offseason drama, get Aaron Rodgers back in the building, have maybe one last dance with Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Jones, Devontae Adams, and the gang. One last dance in Green Bay this year. And you thought, oh, it's going to be, you know, the team that, you know, made the NFC Championship in back-to-back -back years. The Saints, what are they going to be in, in, the, uh, uh, in the era of, uh, you know, post-Drew Brees? Now they have a starting quarterback, a quarterback that uh, was barely able to get through a tackle machine in the preseason. Well, the Saints uh, def defied expectation a little bit and just absolutely bamboozled uh, the Packers. Um, the Packers defensively looked horrible. Um, the New Orleans offense looks as strong as ever despite the change in quarterback. Um, Alvin Kamara, um, and despite not, uh, uh, Alvin Kamara having a great day and despite not having Michael Thomas for this first half of the year, uh, they looked really good on Sunday, um, and for the Packers, um, it's just really concerned, Aaron Rodgers did not look anything close to himself, honestly, his appearance, body language just looked really dejected, um, you know, he's been getting this, you know, long haircut, you know, kind of sloppy vibe in terms of his appearance lately, letting his hair grow long in, in, in the beard, unkempt sort of, um, he just—he uh, just looked like a guy who's been tired even before the season begins. Hasn't gotten any sort of sleep. He just looked really bad on, you know, not even just performance-wise. He just looked really down on Sunday. Um, and so it's this is real concern for the Packers. Um, you thought you finally settled the drama um, with the in the off-season. Aaron Rodgers—is he going to stay? Is he not? Back and forth and back and forth. Well, he stayed. You think it's going to be, you know, all is well. Keep on going the way we've been the last two years. Try and get that uh, championship one last time in, in Green Bay for Aaron Rodgers. And now the alarm bells start going off. And believe me, the offseason drama will start coming up once again if the Packers can't right the ship. Um, they have a big test, I believe, this weekend against the Lions. Um, and yes, the Lions are the Lions, but uh, and you expect, given e even how poor the Saint, uh, the uh, Packers were this weekend, you really expect the Lions to um, uh, the Packers to beat the Lions. Um, it, it, you know they have to. It doesn't matter who it would be, the Lions or whoever, bad team, good team. Uh, the Packers just really need a win this weekend to sort of like right the ship on 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 everybody and, and sort of say we're okay. We just had a bad. Uh, blip, bad performance that weekend in week one, you know, just corrected some things, going and, and you know, just reset and, and you know, kind of keep on moving. Um, if they don't win oh, this weekend, oh man, will alarm bells be going off in Green Bay just two weeks into the season. That's our roundup on NFL week one. Very interesting week of football to get, thing, to get the season started. Obviously, I have more coverage of it as the season goes along next week. Moving over now to Major League Baseball, and start off, of course, with the Yankees and Mets. Both will sort of overlap, as, of course, we had the Subway Series this weekend. The Yankees 
continuing their slide after the 13-game win streak, lost 11 of their last 13. Um, everybody has come back into the wild card race, and now it looks like it's going to be a race until the finish. Um, whether the Yankees can finish in the AL wild card uh, within the AL wild card spots and make the playoffs or not, um, you know, did not. Um, did not enter this Subway Series on a good note, having lost two out of three the previous weekend at Yankee Stadium to the the horrible Baltimore Orioles, then got swept middle of the week last week against the Toronto Blue Jays, which hasn't happened in 15 years. Um, you know, so looking against the Mets, who have been uneven this year, and but on a good roll coming into the Subway Series. And you 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 know you're thinking the Yank both teams with something on the line in, sep in September, but in the Yankee point of view, need to you know pick themselves off the mat and start getting going. Well, they didn't. They lost two out of three uh, to the Mets. Francisco Endor having his signature moment with a big home run on Sunday night uh, to win it for to ultimately win it for the Mets off of um, Chad Green. Um, and that that was all, and then you had coming out of the um, you know Lindor home run was a response uh, to whistling controversy that we had in the game. And after Stanton hit a game tying home run to make it six six, we had a huge scuffle between the Yankees and Mets. Benches cleared, and there was a lot of pushing and shoving. He thought there was going to be a brawl, um, and it all started with the confrontation between Lindor and Stanton. As Stanton was you know. Uh, running around the bases, um, you know, Lindor, con you know, commenting to him, Stanton commenting back. Um, personally, I don't know why you'd want to pick a fight with Giancarlo Stanton, whether you're in the right or not. Um, he's just a towering human being, and I would not want to pick a fight with him. Um, but this whole whistling controversy was controversy about some someone in the Yankee dugout. I believe they. People said Wandy Peralta or it was somebody in the Yankee dugout, you know, whistling um, and, uh, you know, the conversations about cheating in the dugout, um, that the uh, Yankees were picking up on signs and pitches um, uh, that was uh, being thrown. This all started on Saturday night in the, um, in the Yankees 8-7 win. It all started, you know, saying that the Yankees were... Um, Whistling every time there was a fastball being thrown by Taiwan Walker, and the Yankee the Yankees were sign stealing, they were cheating, they were picking up on it, all that sort of stuff, and that continued into Sunday night um, with uh, Francisco Lindor push, pushing that issue, and then who had a who um, you know then when Stanton hit a, a home run, you know commented back on him, back and forth starter or whatnot. Or I get to Francisco Lindor's great game. Um, you know, to address this whole thing, to picking, if you're a pitcher, I kept on seeing this on Twitter, the Yankees weren't cheating, I'm sorry. I know I'm a fan, a Yankee fan, but this comes with no bias, they weren't cheating. Plain and simple. If you're picking up, on, if a pitcher is picking up, not a pitcher, if a pitcher is tipping his pitches, he's he's giving away a tell on what, you know, whatever, with his movement, something in his glove going, if he's giving away, whether he means to or not, um, if he's tipping his pitches, he's giving away what pitch is coming up next. 
then don't you think the Yankees are going to take full advantage of him tipping his pitches? Of course they are. And if you're someone like Stanton, if you see he's tipping his pitch, oh, you know, you're going to go into the dugout and say, oh, hey, Kleber Torres, hey, Aaron Judge, hey, Luke, whoever, hey, Joey Gallo, you know, hey, I see, I see he's doing this when, uh, with his glove whenever he's about to throw a fastball. I notice that. Make sure you, you remember that when you go up, you know, to the batter's box. Of what? Of course you think. Uh, of course that's going. That kind of stuff is going to happen. If if Stanton or anybody else will pick up a pitcher, you know, a, a tell, a, the a pitcher tipping his pitches. Of course he's going to relay that one way or, or another to the rest of his teammates. As well, within his rights to don't tip your pitches then. Um, but you know, it started this whole uh, controversy, but. I got a comment, you know, telling me that, you know, what the Yankees were, were doing um, was equivalent to the Houston Astros cheating, which is just absolutely nuts. Picking up on tip pitches and what the Astros were doing, which was a whole electronic sign-stealing scheme, is to compare those two is just absolutely ridiculous. Both acts are not in the same stratosphere. Now, it's a different story if, you know, they pick up on the Yankees cheating for... Um, you know, if some evidence of that is, is revealed or, or whatever, that's a different story. But tipping, I'll, I'll make this, this distinction. Picking up on pitchers tipping their pitches is not cheating. I couldn't believe I got that comment um, that, that, tipping, that tipping pitches um, is considered to, to be equivalent to what the Houston Astros did, which was an, an entire electronic scheme you know, instantaneous taking you know video and instantaneously relaying that to the dugout. Uh, guys who would instantaneously pick up on signs and and bang the trash cans and relay that with the with banging their trash cans, relay that to uh, the guys in the batter's box. There was no way they were doing that without an instantaneous electronic system and all. And that the, the, there's a whole scheme behind that. There, there's there, that does not compare whatsoever to tipping, uh, to picking up on tip pitches. But I just wanted to address that. Anyway, Francisco Endor, signature moment one way or another. Um, whatever happens with the Mets season this year, that is a signature moment uh, for Francisco Endor as a Met at a three homer game. Um, you know, to, he this that series. Um, and Lindor's performance is exactly what the Mets have been waiting for uh, for the entire year. Lindor has had a really bad year, but that's exactly what they've been waiting for. Um, it was a fantastic moment for him. Hey, listen, hats off. If he's going to start picking a fight with Giancarlo Stanton, you better do something later in the game to, um, you know, to, to answer that back. Because, you know, if he, if he would just, um, if he would, you know, you know, say something back to Stanton, get get him into a whole, um, get in, get into a whole scuffle as they did, and not do anything the rest of the game. You know, kind of doesn't look great upon him. But you know, he he, uh, you know, he went about. Uh, you know, despite starting that whole thing, um, that whole scuffle. You know, he went. Uh, you know, he came back up to the plate. He got the team, uh, his team, the winning run. And you, you go on go on from there. Um, you know, so hats off to him for a fantastic game. A fantastic Subway series overall. Regardless of who would have won that, that was a fantastic 
Subway series, one of the better Subway series that you've seen in recent years, in my opinion. Um, from the Yankees' point of view, um, the slide has continued. Yes, in the last couple of days, they beat the Twins in walk-off fashion, coming back from 5-0 down to win 6-5 um, in 10 innings. Last night, beat the Baltimore Orioles 7-2, which the way they played last night, they should play like that against the Orioles. They should beat the, the Orioles. They should sweep them this week. Um, because that is what the Orioles are, a really bad team. And you are a team in the Yankees trying to contend for the playoffs. You, should be, you shouldn't be losing against a team like the Orioles. So, um, you know, there's that. They have two more against the Orioles um, this, uh, this week um, in the next couple of days. And then, um, you know, I just want to address Chad Green. Gave up the winning home run against Francisco Endor. He's been overworked this year, but he's also been real. He's he's not had a good year, Chad Green. Uh, he's given up a lot of big hits in the bullpen. Um, you know, over the uh, over the year, the biggest one I can think of too was um, the Jose Altuve go ahead. I believe it was two one or three run home run. This was back in June. I think it prevented the Yankees from sweeping the Astros at home. Way back in June, um, there were some other big, uh, big moments as well. Um, but I just think of that Altuve one. Um, you know, you think of uh, uh, Boston at Fenway um, back in uh, July. Some big moments that you know he blew late on. He's just given up some really big hits in the Yankee bullpen um, this year. Um, he's not good. I don't know what uh, his future will be next year. I believe. I think the Yankees really need to spend time in the offseason remaking the bullpen. Um, I, I, I would think Chad Green can be a part of it. Um, but, you know, I, I think it's, it's, he's got to be questions. He's had some bad, uh, really given up some, uh, bad, uh, some big hits in the bullpen. He's had some uh, bad outings. Um, Yankees uh, in, uh, on Sunday also ran out. Andrew Heaney after Clark Schmidt. Um, I'm sorry, uh, they ran Andrew Heaney out against the Twins, and while he had a 1-2-3 inning, um, I don't know why he's still on the roster. He has just been really bad the entire year. You can't overstate that. Um, I just, I, that's all I'll say. I just, he's, he's, we always knew he wasn't going to be a great acquisition for the Yankees at the deadline. He was just an innings eater. Um, with, you know, the health issues that the Yankees have had with starting pitchers this year at times. You know, they just brought him in as a guy who's going to be a bulk pitcher, you know, just sort of eat some innings for, for them. Um, they know he wasn't the greatest pitcher. We all knew he wasn't such a great pitcher, you know, as soon as they acquired him in the trade deadline. But, man, I don't think anybody ever expected this bad. He's just a... a, a you know, a walking liability every time he goes up to the plate. Um, I don't know how he still made it on this roster um, this far. Um, but yeah, as I said with the Yankees, as I start to wrap up on them, they have two more with the Orioles up next. They have 17 games remaining on the schedule. So they're tied with the Blue Jays um, for the first wild card spot. Um, Boston is currently out of a, a playoff spot. Um, but it's all very close between the uh, three EL, uh, AL East teams, uh, the Yankees, the Blue Jays, and the Boston Red Sox, all very close 
Only two of them can make it. Um, they're all within a game or two of each other, those three teams. Then you have the Mariners who are three games out, um, still, you know, sort of in the hunt. You know, so it's going to be a race down to the finish, in my opinion. The Blue Jays have been playing incredibly as of late, have gotten hot at the right time. They're, they're swinging the bat really good. Um, the Red Sox have hung around after falling apart um, from July through August. Um, the Yankees, what seemed like they had the, the wild card spot, you know, firm in hand. They had figured things out on the 13-game win streak or whatnot. Let everybody back in, but... Got two wins these past two days. Need to start building back up to that team that they were in August and have a good, strong finish to the season. They have the schedule um, to do so, especially this next week or so. Um, you have some injury concerns. Uh, Jamison Tyon to the injured list. That forced uh, Clark Schmidt um, to pitch on Sunday. and He was okay. Not, nothing great, honestly. But just coming back from injury, so... Um, He'll, you know, we'll see how much he factors in, whether that's a starter or as a bullpen going down the stretch. Uh, Domingo Herman set to hit Triple uh, A, uh, have a Triple A rehab start, so that's huge news for the Yankees. He'd be that would be a huge readdition back to the rotation. They they definitely can use some more starting pitchers as of right now going into um, well, what's to be a race down to the wire for the wild card spots. Of course, Garrett Cole came back last night after issues with his hamstring the past week or so. Um, you know, so he's back, had a good performance. Had, you know, went 108 uh, pitches in five innings, um, was really solid, you know, um, but, you know, had a couple of uh, big um, innings in terms of pitch count that prevented him from going more than five innings, but we'll see. He can work himself back up, um, you know, in the next couple of starts. Um, closing in. On Ron Guidry's record, 248 strikeouts, Cole at 224 would need to go as three as potentially three more starts needs at least eight strikeouts in each start uh, to be able to get to Guidry's record. That's on the Yankees, who been very bad in the last couple weeks, but you know, a couple wins coming out of the Mets series um, need to start. You know, need to go in these next seven uh, 17 games need to at least go. Uh, 12 and 5, in my opinion, to uh, be able to have a shot of being in the wild card spots and in the playoffs. Um, over to the Mets. Of course, we mentioned them a little bit before. Um, after losing two out of three to the Marlins last week, had a big series win against the Yankees at City Field. As we mentioned, the signature moment uh, for Francisco and Door signature game on Sunday night. Um, but in true Mets fashion, as soon they take one step forward. And two steps back. They have a bunch of games with team after the after the Yankees series this weekend. They have a bunch of games starting off with three games against the Cardinals. Um, with you know these are teams that are in and around them in terms of playoff contention. Team teams that you want to be facing in, in a playoff chase, so you can be able to beat them, catch up to them, or move past them, um, or put separation between you and them. And continue and continue to move forward in the playoff chase, and yet the Mets shoot themselves in the foot. Lost seven nothing to uh, uh, on in the first game of the series against the Cardinals. Lost seven six in extra innings last night, dropping two out of three at the very least. Um, they need to start winning these games for the Mets if they're going to be able to eke into that wild card spot. 
Um, they're five and a half out of the division, so maybe you can still say um, that's still in play. But, you know, it's starting to get a little late on that, and wild card looks more likely. But you got to start winning some games if, if you're the Mets. So you got the Cardinals, you got one more with the Cardinals, got the Brewers, and then, and then the Phillies. Three, um, you know, some big series coming up that you need to be able to take and really uh, rail off some wins if you're going to make the playoffs. Um, but that is the roundup on the Yankees and Mets. We'll see what happens in the next week with them as they try to make, him, uh, make a push for the playoffs. But before we finish off here, one last thing we want to talk about, and that is the U.S. men's national team. Last week finished off their first um, qualifying window for the octagonal, uh, the octagonal qualifying group um, for the 2022 uh, FIFA World Cup. Um, not, not really a great window by any stretch for the U.S. men's national team. They tied to El Salvador and Canada but ended, on a much need, ended that window on a much-needed high note last Wednesday, the 4-1 win on the road against Honduras. They needed that win to salvage something from this window. You're at five points now. You're in third place, which is within the qualifying spots in, con in the CONCACAF octagonal. Um, so as, as the window was a bit of a failure, you should have, uh, should have gotten a win against Canada. Definitely could have gotten a win against El Salvador based on the chances they had. Um, you had the lead against Canada as well. Couldn't be able to hold the lead. So some points dropped there, disappointingly. But, you know, it could have been a lot worse, especially the way they started that Honduras game, which was probably one of the worst halves you've seen in, in U.S. soccer, in, in recent U.S. soccer history. I'm talking about the last 5-10 years. They looked absolutely listless in that first half. Went into the halftime breakdown, one nothing to Honduras. Greg Berhalter made some changes. Um, granted, it was changes that he shouldn't have had to make because he should have started with those, with the the way that he played out the formation change. Um, he shouldn't have started Tyler Adams on the right hand side of midfield. Should never play anywhere other than the six Tyler Adams. Um, some of the other guys that didn't play that came on in the second half. Should have been on the entire time. You think of Anthony Robinson at left back. You know, George Bellow had some great performances in the Gold Cup. Had some really solid performances in the Gold Cup. But in a big qualifier like this, on the road, should not have gotten the start. Anthony Robinson is our best left back by far. Proved that, especially in the second half um, of that game. The U.S., just with those changes, the formation change, and some of the substitutions in the second half, just looked a lot better, a lot crisper, and that reflected the 4-1 win. And a lot of that had to do with the emergence of Ricardo Pepe, who had a fantastic debut, fantastic second half, really, because um, he was quiet in the first, as was most of the U.S.'s offensive players, um, but um, really was, uh, you know, really came to life in the second half and had the go-ahead goal and a couple of assists in the 4-1 win. Had the big header that made it 2-1 in the 73rd minute and then assisted Brendan Aronson on the third goal um, and had a key shot that eventually rolled over to Sebastian Legette for the fourth goal in injury stoppage time past the 90th minute. Um, so Pep, uh, Ricardo Pepe, the striker for, uh, LAF, uh, for FC Dallas, um, he has been um, fantastic, honestly. Um, for the past couple of months in MLS, a lot of people have been clamoring 
him uh, for him to be brought up to the U.S. men's national team. Had the opportunity to choose Mexico. He's a dual national. Had the opportunity to choose between Mexico or the U.S. Everybody's certainly glad that he made the choice to be with the U.S. men's national team. Um, got the start against Honduras and looked absolutely fantastic, especially in that second half. Um, he had the instincts of a number nine. Was dangerous in the box. Um, was able to have good hold to play and create for others, as we saw in that third goal with Brendan Aronson. Um, he's been every everything you've wanted to see in a U.S. number nine that you haven't with the likes of uh, Josh Sargent or whether it was Jordan Pifok or um, Gias Zardes or anybody like that in the last couple um, of games, the last couple of months. Uh, he looked fantastic, Pepe. He, at least for the short-term future, he's resoundingly answered the questions at the number nine position for the U.S. And for now, at least going into next qualifying window, you can slot Pepe in there at the number nine spot. Fantastic uh, debut for the 19-year-old. Um, the cons uh, Some concerns. I don't think we talked about this window going into next window. Um, for the U.S., some concerns. Christian Pulisic went down in that Honduras game with an injury. How fit will he be? What will be his status for the October window? Uh, Gio Reyna, injury concerns with him, uh, went down in the game um, in the game against El Salvador. Had some injury concerns. Um, so that's something to monitor in the next couple of weeks. Um, also, the fact of the Premier League's rule on COVID and whether whether or not they'll allow in the October international break window, whether they'll allow they'll pl their players um, to be released to countries um, that are on that may be on their their red um, the UK red list. That's going to be a concern, obviously, for the US. Um, they do play. Um, they do play against Panama on the road, who is on the UK's uh, red list in terms of travel um, based on COVID. Um, so uh, if that ruling that the Premier League wants to have um, you know, stands in October, that would mean Christian Pulisic injury or whatnot, and Josh Sargent um, would be in doubt to be with the U.S. Um, and then it's qualifying, qualifying window, so that would be a huge concern, um, but... You know, we'll see what happens then. It's not really too much the U.S. can do in terms of that. You just have to wait and see what happens. Um, on the goalkeeper front, Matt Turner. Been fan fantastic. Pulled out some really good stops in the game last week against Honduras. Uh, in the games against Canada and El Salvador as well. I think, you know, he's talk about him being the new number one goalkeeper for the U.S., and I absolutely approve. I know Zach Steffen is highly regarded. He's a really good goalkeeper in my opinion. But he's at, in Manchester City at a place where he's not playing all that often. Turner is playing for the New England Revolution. And sure, the Premier League is a lot better than the MLS. But in terms of a goalkeeper, in terms of selecting for your national team, you have to go with the quote-unquote hot hand, whoever's playing more often, especially at the goalkeeper position and all. And that's Matt Turner. He's playing often, playing all the time. He's playing at a really high level. One of, if not th the best MLS goalkeeper right now. Matt Turner, for now, definitely the number one goalkeeper for the U.S. And you saw a lot of defensive concerns 
last point on the U.S., you saw a lot of defensive concerns uh, for the U.S. in, in this uh, last window. A um, couple of goals they gave up, um, and the, particularly the defensive concerns is with John Brooks. The goal that Honduras scored, partially his fault, not picking up the back post run. I, I consider, I put George Bell at fault a little bit there, but John Brooks, you know, is at fault as well, really, as the center back that's, you know, coming over to cover the right-hand side um, based on where the play is, just, you know, not having any sort of regard for what's going on at the back post, tracking back post runs, cutting off the lanes or whatnot coming, you know, from the back post. Um, passing lanes to guys coming in from the back post or whatnot. None of that is happening from John Brooks, and he's not had the sort of defending that you would expect from uh, the, a Champions League caliber defender that he is with Wolfsburg. He's playing in the Champions League. And so uh, disappointing, um, perf disapp really disappointing qualifying window for Brooks. And the U.S. went into this qualifying window wondering, Who's going to start next to John Brooks? Well, the U.S. are leaving this qualifying window, and we'll go into October, you know, thinking, who's going to start next to Miles Robinson? Miles Robinson has played himself into the conversation as a main starter in the, that center back role for the U.S. The question is, who's going to play alongside him? Um, John Brooks hasn't looked uh, all that great in the last couple of games for the U.S. My pick would be Walker Zimmerman, who had a good gold cup until he went down with injury in the group stage. That would be my pick. You got guys like Matt Miazga, Mark McKenzie as well. Um, but my personal pick would be Walker Zimmerman, the MLS Defender of the Year last season uh, with Nashville. That would be my pick going forward into October. Um, this next qualifying window for the U.S., they'll have... Jamaica and Costa Rica at home, and then take on Panama on the road. Um, Panama got a big point against Mexico last time out. Um, they're going to be a tricky team, especially on the road, as they always have in the past couple of years. Jamaica and Costa Rica at home, two games that the U.S. should absolutely win. Um, in World Cup qualifying, you always talk about it. It's absolutely huge to win at home, and they have to do that um, this upcoming window. Um, Definitely in those three games, the U.S. definitely should be looking uh, for seven points. Real, I realistically put at seven points. That would be a successful window. Get wins against Jamaica and Costa Rica. And I think a tie on the road at Panama wouldn't be um, too bad. Um, but that's a roundup on the U.S. men's national team. And that will conclude this edition of the Mike Sports Roundup. Um, I have more next week. Hope you have a good day, everybody, and we'll see you back here again next week.